Good morning. Uh, good to see everybody. We do have a church picnic to follow uh, service today, so I will be uh, as brief as I can because I know that that's exciting uh, for all of us to to have lunch together. It's good to see everybody. I hope you're enjoying the hot weather, and uh, it's good in summertime out there. I got a shout out to my boy. Matt, a buddy of mine's here today, who I attend school with. So everybody say hi to Matt. So he doesn't mind being embarrassed. I know he's an extrovert uh, because we're in class together. So I, I know I can kind of embarrass him a little bit. But it's good to see everybody here today. And, uh, you know, today I, I was telling my daughter about what I was going to preach on. And I was hoping to excite her. Because uh, today is kind of the lesson about the original princess in the Bible. And so I was like, hey, we're, I'm going to be talking about a princess uh, today in, in church. And so she was like, good, good, I want to hear about this. Queen Esther is the, what we're talking about. And she said something that was very interesting. She started immediately by beginning her next sentence by saying, once upon a time. And I thought that that was very interesting that she said that phrase. And of course, our fairy tales and our stories a lot of times start out with that phrase, don't they? Once upon a time. And what's interesting is the verse that captivated me about this book in Esther was Esther chapter 4 that says this, Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Once upon a time, for such a time as this. Time is so crucial, isn't it? It's vital. Before we get into the story of Esther, which is a unique book in the, in the Bible. You know why it's unique? Because it's the only book of the Bible that doesn't have the name of God in the book. Bible readers have been confounded by this, and scholars, if you look in the book of Esther, you will not find the name of God in the book. It's the only book in the Bible like that. But if you read the story, you will find God on every page, even though He's not explicitly mentioned. The thing that I want us to begin to think about this morning is influence. In your influence, in my influence, this church's influence, and there's something about influence that I want you to know that's very important. That once you release your influence on a person or on the world or on your school or on your community, you don't have any control of it anymore. Did you know that? That once you have an influence on someone and then they leave your presence, that influence goes on to have its, a life of its own. And that's why it's very important for all of us to be good stewards of the influence that we have. And Esther is a story about a woman who used her influence to save her people. It's not just about a princess. It's about a woman, a princess who stood up to the king and saved her people. She used her influence for good. She stood for what was right in a time, in a season, where it wasn't easy to do so. 
I want us to begin by thinking about Ford. How many of you drive a Ford? Have you ever owned? My grandfather had a Ford. What do you think about when you hear the word Ford? You think about a truck, don't you? Maybe you think about progress. Maybe you think about organizational efficiency because Henry Ford had the ability to make people do things. He had influence and he was the father of modern manufacturing. He was the one who established the assembly line and he was the one that, who got that together and started making all kinds of cars. Ford was a revolutionary guy. And most of the time when we think about Henry Ford, we don't think about Adolf Hitler, do we? If you put Henry Ford, we put a picture of Henry Ford, and then we put Adolf Hitler over here, you would say those are two things that have nothing to do with each other. But the fact of the matter is, is that they have a great relationship with one another. How? How could Henry Ford have anything to do with Adolf Hitler? Well, you see, Henry Ford, in the early part of the century, published a four-volume set called The International Jew. And it said that the world's problem was the Jewish people. In fact, he said, when there is something wrong in this country, you will find the Jews. In fact, one of Adolf Hitler's main guys, hope I pronounced his name correctly, Balder von Schirach, said at the Nuremberg trials, he said this, we saw Henry Ford, the representative of success, also the exponent of a progressive social policy. It was Henry Ford who to us represented America. And when the New York Times went to Adolf Hitler's office in 1922, guess who they found hanging in his office? A picture of Henry Ford and Adolf Hitler's office because they agreed philosophically about who the Jews were. In fact, Hitler said, I regard Henry Ford as my inspiration. And in fact, on his 75th birthday in 1938, he received the Grand Cross of the German Eagle, the highest medal bestowed from Germans on a foreigner. Think about the influence that Henry Ford had on Hitler. And what did that create? It's just a manufacturing guy. It's just a guy that makes cars. And what you find in the story of Esther is a woman who stands up against an evil person by the name of Haman, who, like Hitler, has it in for the Jews. It's an interesting story. You know, Esther, God used Esther, and she started out from humble means. In fact, she was pretty much an orphan woman, and she ascends to the throne. And it's an interesting story because the Persian king, many acknowledge this as being Xerxes, throws a big party. And I know some of you 
claim that you can party pretty good, but this guy could really party. I mean, he threw a party, it says in chapter 1 of Esther, for 180 days. Now, you say party like a rock star. I think you could say party like a Persian. He was the Persian emperor. He was the Persian king, and he threw this big party, and he got a little influenced himself. Isn't that what you do at parties? And so what he did was is that he wanted to parade his wife around at the party. And he called for his wife at the time, Vashti, to come out. And so he could show her off to everybody at the party. And guess what? She said no. Well, he didn't like that too much. And all of his advisors got together and said, well, what if it word gets out that the king can't even control his own wife? Imagine that. So it was kind of ironic. The most powerful person in the world, in the Persian world, it was the kingdom before the Greeks. He was powerful, but yet he couldn't even command his own wife. Sound familiar, guys? So because of that, he gets rid of her. I need a new wife. And so Esther gets into this beauty pageant of sorts, Eastern style, Middle Eastern style, and somehow ascends to the favor of the king and becomes the queen of the Persian Empire. And she was just this orphan girl that God began to use for such a time as this. Her cousin Mordecai finds out about a plot to kill the king. So he tells him and he prevents this plot from happening, but no one really recognizes Mordecai. And then he, he, he doesn't bow to this guy named Haman. Haman wants him to bow and show respect to him because he's, he's pretty high up in, next to the king. But Mordecai won't bow to him. He won't be subservient to him. And maybe that was a religious thing. But as a result, Haman had this great idea. Because that Jew, Mordecai, will not bow to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to eradicate all of them. I want to kill all the Jews in the world. Listen to this. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from other people's. They do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasure. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do as them as it seems good to you. Imagine that. He's got a license to kill every Jewish person in the Persian Empire because one guy won't bow to him. But remember... Who is the king of Persia married to? Esther, who is a Jewish woman, unbeknownst to the king, unbeknownst to the world. Mordecai gets the news 
that the king is planning on having all the Jews annihilated, killed. And so he gets word to Esther. He says, Esther, you have got to do something about this. Think about this. You're the only one who has the king's ear. And she reminds him, hey, if the king doesn't invite you in, he can kill you. She says in verse 10, all the king's servants and the people in the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law to put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out his golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king for these 30 days. Mordecai says, do not think in your heart that you will be able to escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What were our options? It's kind of a a case study in ethics, isn't it? What would you do? Or one option is, is that she can be quiet. She can remain silent, right? She doesn't have to go to the king. She could try to escape herself and think about only herself. And isn't that what a lot of us do in general when things get bad? When conflict arises, when something bad happens, it's easier to say, that's none of my business, right? It's easy to walk away from responsibility, isn't it? Dr. King once said it like this, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. You see, the silence that we give injustice, the silence that we give evil, is our toleration of it. And she could have been just like anybody else. I'm just an observer. I'm a spectator to this. It's not my responsibility. I'm just going to keep quiet. How many of us keep silent when we know we can say something? Have we forgotten the power of God's gospel? Because in the end, this is what changes people fundamentally. This is what transforms people is the gospel. Do we remain silent or do we speak? Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Proverbs says, open your mouth for the speechless. Plead the cause of the poor and the needy. In our world, the people with the loudest voice are the people with what? Let me ask it again. The people with the loudest voice are the people with what? Money. And it's the job of the church, it's the job of His people to plead the cause of those without a voice. Not to remain silent. He also says, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Esther, think about this. That maybe you're the one that God has put in this place to do this. And isn't that how it goes? Sometimes when we start beginning to have to make a decision that's tough, 
an ethical decision, a moral question, sometimes we say, well, it's inconvenient. The timing isn't right. Have you ever thought that? I tell you what's inconvenient when we didn't have water last week, right? That wasn't very convenient. We like things at our convenience, don't we? I like to adjust my thermostat at home. I like my indoor plumbing. I like my refrigerator. But guess what? Sometimes our ethics and our morals and those tough decisions don't happen at convenient times. But that shouldn't stop us from making the right decision. God's providence, God's care had brought Esther to this point for a reason. He placed her there to make the right decision at the right time. And in our own life, you will find yourself having to make decisions and it won't seem convenient. It won't even seem opportunistic. But you have to do the right thing. Esther did not make her decision without deliberating either. It says in verse 16 that she desired that all the people do what? Fast and pray. And in the same way, we have to use that deliberation. We have to seek God in difficult decisions, don't we? Paul said, be anxious in nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Seeking the Lord's wisdom in these situations. And then when Esther had decided to do the right thing, that if she went into the king and he didn't desire to see her and, and his scepter wasn't in the right place and sentenced her to death, guess what she said? She said, if I perish, I perish. That in the end, she would not give in even if her life was on the line. There's someone greater to fear than the law. Sometimes the law isn't the highest standard, is it? In Hebrews 13, 6, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my shepherd. I will not fear what man can do to me. That when you know God, when you know Christ, when you know His courts, then you can say within yourselves that no matter what that law says, I will not fear what a man can do to me. I will not fear what someone can do to me because I know God is my helper. So what happens in the story? Well, Haman, he has it in for Mordecai so bad and he's complaining to his wife about it. She said, well, why don't you build some gallows and get him hanged? So he gets some gallows built to hang Mordecai. And then finally, the timing's just so significant because remember, Mordecai had helped out the king, and it was unbeknownst to him, but the news of Mordecai helping out and thwarting tyranny or thwarting a treason comes to the knowledge of the king. He finally reads in the books at night what Mordecai has done for him. And so he says, I want to honor Mordecai. So he brings in Haman. He says, what would you do to honor a man? And so Haman thinks, it must be me. Right? Haman is a prideful person. His pride's getting to him. And so 
what would you do? And he said, well, I'd give him a robe and I'd give him a ring and I'd, and I'd make somebody go around and say, hey, this, the king honors this man. And then the king said, well, good, you're going to be the guy to do it. Go honor Mordecai. So the guy that he despises, the guy that he hates, he has to go around the whole city saying, the king honors this guy. The king honors this guy. And then he finally gets invited to a feast with Esther. And Esther tells of the plans. And then the very gallows that he built to hang Mordecai, he hangs. You know, sometimes when we're trying to undo someone, guess what happens to us? We get undone. Saw a, a movie that illustrates this. <clears throat> We're getting close to the end. And I thought it was a cute little movie when I saw the title. It was called The Boy with the Striped Pajamas. So I was like, that sounds like a cute little movie. I watched that. And it's a story about two boys. And one of the boys, his father is the commander that's in charge of the concentration camp. And the other boy is a boy that's inside the concentration camp and he wears striped pajamas. He's a prisoner. And in the course of this, the boys become friends and then finally the little boy says, I can't come out to you, but maybe you can come into the concentration camp. So the commander's son, the one that's ahead of the concentration, his son sneaks into the concentration camp. And the boy's there, and he's even got him a pair of the pajamas. And they both put on the pajamas because they couldn't play with each other outside of the concentration camp. They play with each other inside the concentration camp. And then it comes time for bathing. And of course, when they went into the bathhouses, it wasn't really a bath, was it? It was where they poisoned them. And there that young boy held hands with the other Jewish boy and died alongside of him, even though his father was the commander of the concentration camp. If we live our lives trying to undo people, digging holes for other people to fall in, guess what happens? We fall in them. And the story of Esther is a woman who used her influence to stand up to an evil guy named Haman, and she succeeded. And she stopped the annihilation of her people. She saved her people. And in fact, they call, set up a feast called Purim to save and to celebrate how she saved her people. Think about your own influence. What are you using it for? Henry Ford, if you were to go talk to him and say, hey, because you wrote The International Jew, 55 million young people would be killed in a war. Do you think he would have disseminated that information? Do you think he would have published it? I'm not saying that that was the only th factor into creating Hitler, but it was certainly one of them. Our influence is so powerful. 
And Esther is a great story that illustrates that God used an orphan girl to save the Jewish people. What can God do with you? We're all, in a way, spiritual orphans. We need our Father. And if you live a life in rebellion to the Father, you're ultimately a spiritual orphan. You don't have that relationship with the Father. You don't have that knowledge of who you are. The Bible says that the way that we know the Father is through the Son. And Jesus Christ gives us the answer to who God is. That God is a loving God. That God is a Father. God is waiting on you and I to respond to Him. To come to Him. And the way to do that is to begin by belief. It's the hardest thing to do. There's lots of things to believe in. But Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. When you read His message, when you read His teachings, when you read His life, you will confront who you are and what the world needs. The Bible says that we're to repent of those sins, to confess Him to be the Son of God, and to be baptized. And we begin that walk with Him. Today, realize the power, the impact of your influence and use it for good. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you this morning. If you have any needs at all, spiritually, if you desire to be baptized, if you desire prayer for healing or repentance, we stand ready to assist you. Won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing? <laughs>